Who are you? If you like apples, Charles Darwin and the fittest shall survive. <laughs> Brainwashing and amateur chroma key effects. You are going to love our review of the 1969 NBC special, 33 and a third revolutions per monkey. Next on, I'll brainwash them and they'll brainwash the world! I don't believe it. The following program is brought to you in living color. As early as 1923, David Sarnoff recognized the possibility of developing a television system. This is the dimension of imagination. Oh, yeah! Now I remember! It's Inside the Box, the TV history podcast. Welcome to Inside the Box. I'm your host, Steve Voorhees, and today I'm joined by my fellow TV enthusiasts, Jonathan Bollinger and Andrew Salvati. Guys, how are you doing today? I'm doing good, Steve. I am ready for a whacked-out psychedelic monkey trip from 1969. Well, you are in luck. <laughs> that's what I got for you. I don't know what it was that I watched to prepare <laughs> for this episode of Inside the Box, but I am glad we're going to subject the rest of our listener base to it in just a moment. So well, I'm glad to be here. I, I am happy you are happy because uh, I selected this episode and as I watched it for the research for this episode, I thought both of you guys are going to kill me for making you waste an afternoon uh, watching this. And it is, if you have not seen this NBC special, I know it is included on some monkey DVDs. I, I believe if you buy the second season DVD, the show is included and it even comes with Mickey Dolan's commentary, uh, a track you can select. Uh, this is just um, 1960s um, acid culture to its finest, if you want to call it that. Yeah, I mean, okay, so we've we've looked at two TV specials so far. I'm talking about the Star Wars Christmas special. Oh, right, yes. And I watched a couple of other NBC and TV specials to prepare for that. And now I've watched this one, and I've got to say, like, are there good TV specials? <laughs> like, are we going to – I feel like we should do at least one good – oh, and then we did the Dutch Reagan yeah, Dutch right, Reagan, so nice. there's three terrible specials, and I just have to make this programming note here. Like, if there's a good TV special, I think we have to do that to kind of balance the universe here a little bit. Well, Jonathan, you have your work cut out for you. Find us a good TV special. Yeah, that's that's a tall order, but I I will do it. I will find a okay. quality television variety special that has song and dance and amusement and children and love. And hopefully some holiday. But not too much. Okay. Uh, today's special, if you have not already guessed, it's got a little bit of everything for you, uh, even stuff you might not completely understand. But don't worry, because some of it I'm sure we're not going to get either. Uh, today we're going to be focusing our attention on the NBC television special, 33 and a Third Revolutions Per Monkey, which aired on April 14th, 1969 in prime time. Now, before we get to the content of this awesome TV artifact, uh, Jonathan's going to provide you with some exposition surrounding this event and, and the monkeys, if, if you happen to be a listener that maybe is not as familiar with them. Yeah, Steve. So if you're too young to remember, uh, the monkeys were a half-hour television show featuring four quote-unquote musicians that debuted on NBC back in September 1966. Now, we want to use the term musicians lightly here because at the time, the cast really comprised two sets. 
two actors, Mickey Dolenz and Davy Jones, and two musicians, Peter Tork and Michael Nesmith. However, the characters in the show featured the foursome's real names, and TV viewers conceived them to be a real band. Now, complicating matters for the audiences at the time, the music featured in the program was also released as albums featuring Dolenz, Nesmith, Jones, and Tork. And although their vocals are heard on every track, the music was written and performed by other musicians, most notably the duo of Tommy Boyce and Bobby Hart, as well as uh, Neil Diamond and Carole King were also frequent uh, contributors. By 1967, the Monkees pushed back and resisted music director Don Kirshner, who was later famous for his rock concerts, plans for the foursome. Instead, they wanted full musical control and to essentially become a real band, writing and playing their own instruments. Despite releasing the album Headquarters as the band's first original album, they could not and still cannot to this day, for some folks in the audience, shake the black cloud of being a fake band. Now, I say for some because they ended up having a resurgence in 1986 via MTV uh, as a reunion that at least partially Mike Nesmith uh, uh, participated in. And the sort of good feelings of the show and the band and the personalities uh, were embraced and understanding that while they may have not written all the music, they were part of a moment that brought a lot of joy to people who saw the show in reruns and enjoyed the pop songs that uh, they continued to perform. And they sporadically reformed over the past uh, decades uh, until the untimely passing of uh, singer Davy Jones. Uh, and now it's uh, only the three of them. Um, so that's sort of who the monkeys were. Um, probably most of you are familiar because they ran in reruns for quite a few years on uh, one channel or another. At the end of their TV show's second season, in March of 1968, the Monkees and NBC mutually agreed to part ways, and the foursome went into doing their own movie. So they're trying to be a little more like the Beatles, and the movie was called Head, which, if any of you have seen this, it is a stream-of-consciousness plot, very, very different from their television show, uh, that creator Bob Rafelson and up-and-coming actor at the time Jack Nicholson uh, wrote and the Monkees act in. The, because the it, it had nothing to do with the TV show and their character personas were very different, fans seem to reject this, although now there's a big cult following uh, regarding this movie. So following the movie and sort of the bombing in the box office, the Monkees were touring in concerts. They had a, sort of a, a band of musicians with them that would support them, but they were playing some instruments and they, and they were, of course, singing in these concerts through late 1968. NBC brought them back to do three television specials. So what we're looking at today is the first of what was to be three TV specials. Uh, however, not surprisingly, this is the only of the three that were produced that NBC permanently uh, cut out, the, canceled the rest, uh, given how this one turned out. Now, what's interesting about this special is that creators of the TV series, Bob Rafelson and Burt Schneider, are nowhere to be seen. Neither is director James Frawley, music director Don Kirshner as well. So a lot of the people that made the TV show and helped bring the monkeys to stardom are gone for this TV special. Additionally, the Monkees demanded and won full control over the music direction of this special, uh, although they were also working with different producers and, and directors. Right, and I would just add, Steve, that the interesting thing is that the, the show, The Monkees, the reason it was even created was to capitalize on the Beatles' films, yes. the sort of madcap irreverence of uh, feel of those films. And so it's kind of funny that then as they are wrestling for their own creative control and trying to really be young and authentic and sort of writing young, wacky films and such, 
you know, it, it, it doesn't it doesn't do as well to a mainstream audience. The mainstream audience wanted the replication of a hard day's night, wanted which what the show was, and these sort of zany, lighthearted sort of plots from the from the TV show, although as you'll you'll I'm sure talk about with the with the film much like the TV show episodes, it might have been silly and childish up front, but they were actually trying to say certain things uh, beneath it. Uh, whether it always got through, who the heck knows, but they were trying to say something about uh, or be a voice for their generation, you know, and be significant. Yeah, absolutely. But it happened in such a short amount of time as well, where the Beatles encapsulated, I would say, most in our memory, most of the 1960s since the early 60s debut on Ed Sullivan. Here we go. The Monkees are, are filming episodes and releasing them in 66. They actually finished filming their TV show in late 67. The TV show ends in March of 68. They do the movie in 68, and then they film this TV special between October and December of 68. And after this special, Peter Tork leaves the group. He's the first one to leave, citing exhaustion, and he buys out the NBC contract on him mm. so that he, if there were more specials, he wouldn't be um, even with them. And so from 66 to the end of 68, beginning of 69, that's it. It's over, right? Well, it, and it's such a fast period but, of time. But that's what – and just as a quick aside, I think I, – I love that you bring this up is this is American fame. This is classic American fame because if you think about it, like I, I adore the – from the same time period, the Batman television show, which nowadays is rebranded Batman 66. And Adam West loves to say, even though I adore Adam West, he loves to say, I was part of the three B's of the 1960s, uh, uh, Bond, the Beatles, and Batman. And in a sense, when you structure it that way, he's he's technically correct because <laughs> there's not a, too many other Bs. But when you look at the success of that show, he really was super popular for about the spring of 1966 and part of the, the back end of 66. But that was it. And then it got kind of tiresome. The other part, other show from the same period, Star Trek, Three seasons, and it only really had a great first season, kind of an okay parts of season two, and third season is really hit or miss. And we're about, sorry to date the show, Steve, but we're about to celebrate the 50th anniversary of Star Trek. So I think you're right. Like, like a couple great, I mean, great pop, like uh, Last Train to Clarksville is a great pop mm. song. There's great music from the Monkees. Davy Jones is charming as hell on screen. Peter Tork is so likable. Um, Mickey Dolenz works so goddamn hard to do his job and be great. And Mike Nesmith is just smart and a little moody, but he's so damn likable as well. And and for, like you said, what, four months, really? Four months, five months, seven months? And that was it. And, and, and they are now immortal to an extent in our American culture. That's, you know, and that that's that's fame. And, and so I think that's just, it's an amazing phenomenon within our culture. And so then... <laughs> so then when you get 33 and a third revolution <laughs> monkeys revolving or whatever this hell this thing's called you know you're sort of like oh my god you, you really spent that good that that goodwill that you built up <laughs> for well, a few days really quickly with this what we're going to find with this special as we get into it is that the plasticity uh was not really them so what they're basically saying is that was under don kirshner's control that was what the network wanted us to be now this is our chance we're in control and we're going to make this and Head bombed, but then they go into this, and Peter Tork has called this special the TV version of Head. So they get out of the movie, and they just go in and, and, they, and they do this. So uh, it's very, very interesting. I just want to quickly uh, introduce some of the new players so you sort of get a background here. Uh, the, this special, uh, 33 and a third, which, by the way, is a play on the record speed uh, that you would— What's a record? 
Okay, well. <laughs> <laughs> no, no. Youngin's in the audience. Uh, I'll say you're actually an olden because vinyl is hot now. Vinyl is. is very yeah, hot. Right. So you better know what it you is. better we, know what we, a record we, is. we do have a record Thank player. You know. <laughs> uh, it's more than I have. Uh, so Jack Good is the producer. He is British and best known uh, for producing the American show Shindig on ABC, which was a poor man's version of Soul Train and Bandstand. Oh, I know Shindig. I know Shindig. See, I don't know Shindig all that well, but I, I found some YouTube clips. I, I believe that is, I think that's the show where the uh, fearsome foursome of the Los Angeles Rams featuring Merlin Olsen, Rosie Greer, Roger Brown, and, uh, oh, I can't think of the fourth guy. Um, <laughs> they did a pop song on there. So the four big football linemen <laughs> Dancing on Shindig and doing like a pop song. It's it's pretty horrendous, but it's adorable. Jonathan right. going to the back wall. Yeah, uh, we'll have to find that. Yeah. Um, so he is uh, he's the producer, Jack Good. He he would go on after this to produce the other TV special. Maybe this is one we should look at as well. Andy Williams Magic Lantern Show, which also aired in 1969. Let's do a good one first. <laughs> I mean, have not, you seen? This not yet? judging by the title, but that can't possibly be good. <laughs> So the, the director of this special was a young man by the name of Art Fisher. Uh, and Art Fisher is really known for his use of chroma key. He was the first TV director credited, largely in the readings that I've done, to incorporate chroma key into his specials. And so we're going to see a lot of chroma key in the show. He would go on to direct Donnie and Marie Osmond's variety show and the Sonny and Cher variety hour in the 1970s. Uh, executive producer was Ward Sylvester. He was the one familiar face who also was part of the Monkees TV show, uh, but it's not clear what role he had in this special. Executive producers can sometimes just be head nods. We don't know if he was on the set or, or what role he had in developing this. Uh, the associate producer was Gene Marcion, uh, and he would go on to be an associate producer for the Norman Lear factory of shows, primarily All in the Family and Maud. And so he was very young, and this is one of the first productions he worked on. Finally, the script uh, was written by Jack Good and Art Fisher. So without further ado, let's begin. I conjure We'll take the means of mass communication, use them for commercial exploitation, create a new four-part phenomenon for simple lads of talent, little or none, and through the latest fad of rock, wonder all, conduct experiments in mind control. Suspecting public may be heard. I'll brainwash them, and they'll brainwash the So that is uh, the voice you just heard is Brian Auger. He's a British musician, had played with Rod Stewart and Jimi Hendrix. Um, but here he is featured with another British musician, Julie Driscoll, who you just heard scream. Uh, and uh, she is with the musical group. Both of them are with the musical group The Trinity. Uh, they are both representative of the psychedelic style of music, which commonly features distortion techniques of echo, fuzz tones, auditory effects, the Hammond organ, which Brian is playing here, and synthesizers. In this introduction, we see Driscoll standing next to Auger playing a Hammond organ on top of a forklift operated by a man in a gorilla costume. 
And in special effects, the original Star Trek series would be proud of, Augur literally beams the monkeys into large test tubes situated in what looks to be a space-age version of Frankenstein's laboratory. Brainwashing is apparently quite easy because, as we will see, the monkeys are quickly stripped of their individuality right off the top. Who are you? I am Mickey Dolan. Wrong, you are monkey number one. No, I'm... I am monkey number one. Who are you? I am Peter Tork. Wrong, you are monkey number two. No, I'm... I am monkey number two. Who are you? I am Michael Nesmith. Wrong, you are monkey number three. No, I'm... I am monkey number three. Who are you? David Jones. Wrong, you are monkey number four. No, I am monkey number four. Good, very good. Now let us see. Let's hear from you collectively. something to say. You are all in my power. At this point, uh, we know that these people have a penchant for apples and brainwashing, and if you're going to play an organ, it might as well be on a forklift operated by a fake gorilla. Uh, and initial thoughts about maybe some of the commentary being said here, or uh, what you just w- witnessed? I mean, it reminds me so much of the plot of the later, early 1980s movie, Strange Brew, with uh, Rick Moranis and uh, <laughs> David Thomas, uh, Dave Thomas, where um, the, the the evil brewmeister is brewing the beer for distribution that contains mind-altering brainwash substance, which he then controls through a piano. Uh, now, that was obviously later, so uh, maybe one was influenced by the other. I'm not really sure. But, I mean, it's this whole thing about, you know, the monkeys kind of in this sort of maybe humorous and self-effacing way, kind of making fun of the fact that they're this fabricated group. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it's to point out the, you know, the the overweening and overbearing unseen hand of the music industry, which, you know, determines what their identity is and determines what kind of music they're going to, going to produce. And, you know... And that people will buy it. And so then people will buy it and the whole the trope of brainwash thing. It's just, you know, aside from all the psychedelics, and maybe this is just me from you know, the standpoint of 2016 saying this, but oh my God, it's so overdone and it's it's just boring. Um, but I don't know, I'm not watching this in 1969 and I'm not a Monkees fan and a teenager in 1969. So maybe I just don't appreciate it in that way. But I mean, it's just so over yes. overbearing as to be boring. I, mean, I don't think a lot of people are watching it in 1969. Yeah, probably not. Once NBC saw this, they, they ran it opposite the Academy Awards yeah, on yeah. ABC. So that was another reason I think NBC was not proud of this either. Yeah, so a couple points. One, I'll I'll start by kind of giving some points on the monkey's side, and then I'll do points, you know, (laughs) against them. One is, um, look, they were young dudes who were looking for fame or success, um, some for art, some for just success, and they got in this and they wanted to speak out about it. They found it, but then it was this very constricting way. The second thing is they happen to be all that happens to be happening when youth is so celebrated. I mean, it's sort of like the late 50s with like, you know, rebel without a cause and, you know, youth is king and all this. Well, suddenly it's youth is king again. Um, Youth has a voice, but it's even more political, like against the Vietnam War and eventually against Nixon and and that sort of thing. So, like, it's kind of hard 
you know, some people will be like, oh, they're ungrateful. Like those dudes should have just like enjoyed the money and the fame and whatever. But you try being cool in a in a in a in a in a group of other young people who are trying to be authentic and real. And you'd probably feel like a real poser, you know, be like, yeah, I'm famous. Everyone knows who I am, but I, I feel like a joke. So, OK, so that's that's where I'm, I'm for them now, where I'm against them on this. <laughs> Is if any of you have ever or maybe made your own student film in high school or college, um, you probably shot just about as well with your ideas as the monkeys have put into action in this thing. That's what this special feels like. Everything is very on the nose. So like the scene Steve just played for you. So, you know, not too hard to break it down. A monkey is operating the apparatus that the musical director is being supported by who then gives commands to the monkeys to strip away their identities to make them monkey one through four while turning a big on or off switch as if it's that easy to sort of control them to do his bidding. I think he's talking about Don Kirshner. Not sure, you know, or the music industry, right? Mm. So that's where it fails is is the intentions there are fine. And I don't know. That I, I'm sorry, listeners, I didn't do my research. I can't remember their exact ages in 1969, but I'm, I doubt maybe Nesmith was a little older, but like they're probably 25 here or something yeah, like that. Yeah, I'd say 20s. 20, you know, so like I get why they're doing it. They're trying to be significant and be part of the youth culture. But the way they go about it, it's like it's so ham fisted that you're you're like, guys, like, come on, like. You were, you know, you could have done better. <laughs> you could have done better. It's a so, gorilla, not a monkey. <laughs> well, well, maybe they're not very so good they, at they picking didn't, their they species. They didn't do their research. Yeah, they didn't do their research. Yeah, so, um, but, you know, it's funny, too, is, 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 and I'm not a huge, huge monkeys expert, but just watching that clip, and we'll put the clips up for you, but, like, you see their personalities, even in that stupid little scene where they say their names, mm-hmm. and it's like, Dolan's is, Dolan's is acting. Uh, Torque is, like, sort of genuine. Nesmith is a little surly and Davy Jones is also like acting like I'm pre- I'm doing the line I'm Davy Jones you know so it's like you know the two of them were like thank god we're doing this I can't wait to say all this stuff and the other two are like well I guess we're doing this we're on network tv like well, the that's funny good thing is that's really the last time you hear any of them speak in this special so they don't have any lines of dialogue other than what you just heard and maybe I think there's one or two dialogue lines the rest of the way for uh, a couple of the monkeys that they are if they're not singing you don't see them, and they're not speaking. Mm. And that was very different from the TV show because there is no what we would call character development or any kind of um, vocal dialogue in the plot for this. It's it's not even visual dialogue. You either see them singing or you don't see them at all. And I feel like that's a combination of the psychedelica thing, like we're creating a scene and a mood and a feeling, combined with the fact that by then the Beatles hated each other so much and they didn't like to tour that they were one of the first to do like music videos or a version of a music video. So it would literally just be like, Here's a new performance by the Beatles, and it's like the three-minute video of their whatever song right. they're putting out. So may- maybe the monkeys were kind of doing that as well. Like, hey, we're just going to let our mu- our music's going to stand. Like, our music's as good as what uh, they ever they wrote for right. us. So Jonathan pulling some uh, pulling some positives out of this and some social commentary from the first few minutes. Uh, because after this, things really start to go down the <laughs> <Yes>. hill. Uh, <laughs> without getting too ahead of ourselves, uh, the night that this special aired on NBC, the master control ops accidentally mixed up the segment reels and played parts two and parts three out of order. In fact, the link that I'm going to provide Jonathan, you, you can watch this whole special on YouTube, uh, that is the out, of, uh, the out of sequence version. Now, to let you know how hard this was for me to figure out, watching it, I could not tell if it was out of order. I didn't know, am I watching the right version or the wrong version? Because it's such a hard 
thing to just understand what's going on in maybe, this. Maybe it really is that avant-garde that they said, well, we're just going to play this thing out of order. Well, so no. This, because, this well, is he, Tarantino before Tarantino? Sure. Yeah. It, well, you know what? So here's the thing. So then I, I start doing research, and I really watch this. At the end of the second segment, we see Charles Darwin appear laughing. But at the time, we don't know who he is because Charles Darwin hasn't been introduced yet. So in the third segment, yeah. Charles Darwin's introduced. That should really be the second mm-hmm. segment. So then the laughing in, the, in what is the second segment should really be the third because now you know why he's laughing. Uh, and so that, that was the only hint. Other than that, yeah, you really can't tell the difference if this is messed up because the plot is just all over the place. And it, um, it, it, technically, I don't think the Master Control op really did anything to damage this piece. Yeah, you know? no, yeah, it seems, yeah. Maybe, and maybe and just... you know what? Speaking from Master Control ops everywhere, I mean... Maybe the tape just wasn't labeled. I mean, people <laughs> have said happens. that online. There are message boards that blame that the monkeys didn't label the tapes correctly, yeah. or the production staff didn't label the tapes correctly, yeah. and it was not Master Control's fault. Um, but yeah, it is very interesting. So parts two and three are swapped. So after the introduction, Augur takes a bite of this apple. He's the second one to bite the apple now, uh, and and hopefully Jonathan later on will tell us the significance of this apple, <laughs> uh, because I'm not exactly completely sure. I haven't connected that piece. But we go into the first commercial break. Now part two begins with the monkeys trapped inside the test tubes and leads to solo performances for each. So uh, essentially, you know, at the close of that segment is where we see Charles Darwin laughing maniacally and and we don't know who he is yet and that should really be part three so we're gonna take you through this in the wrong order the, the order in which nbc aired it uh and and that's to avoid any more confusion so if you see us on youtube we're basically doing the wrong version and then steve you're talking about you know the apple i mean the the symbolism of the apple has always been you know adam and eve sure, the, the apple of the apple of knowledge and that would be you know the, the two quote-unquote bad guys in this are eating from the apple of knowledge, making us think that, you know, somehow they're more powerful or omniscient than the monkeys, but now we're telling them to free their minds. I, I don't get it. Or, or, or is it, which doesn't really, I guess doesn't really make sense because the Beatles created it, but like, is it supposed to be Apple Records and like, are they trying to bite, you know, trying to get good, as big as Apple? Point. This is slowly creeping into Star Wars holiday special territory. I mean, that's how that's how dead on arrival this thing is. Well, I, I mean, I, I guess this is a question I could answer, but I'd like to pose to you. So why are these two villains doing this? Why do they want to rule the world? They beam up the monkeys. Who knows, who knows where they got them from or why they selected them? But then they talk about we're going to use the means of mass communication and we're going to trap them and take them over, brainwash them so we can rule the world. Is this just commentary on the music industry or is this supposed to be some plot I'm trying to look into? I don't think it's any deeper than that. They they represent the record executives. That's... That's my reading of it. It's yeah. just as simple as that. And so they just plucked the monkeys like the monkeys were plucked. Yeah, from... I don't know where they got them from. Like, I don't know. Well, that's on, how on the, the street were or formed, something. Right? And... They put in a in Variety magazine. Yeah, it's they just think like the a regular form from an audition ad and, yeah. in test tubes. Audition. Yeah. Well, and, <laughs> and I I think you you might allude to this later, but you were talking before about um, uh, sort of creating the you know the construction of the band, the plasticity of it. You know, and and they they certainly aren't the only band who ended up doing this. Um, Back in the, I forget if it was the late 90s or 2000, NSYNC did a whole video where it's them on puppeteer strings, puppeteer yeah. strings to kind of talk back to their mm-hmm. own manager who had too much control over them and sort of this this pop, you know, mm-hmm. this creation mm-hmm. of pop. So, you know, this is a template. I, I don't know if they're, I don't think the monkeys created this template, but it's definitely this very similar scenario of the 
uh, Hollywood factory, right? Of you're in this situation and and how to fight against it. And if you like that, it's going to hit you even harder over the head in just a minute here. I think in this <laughs> clip that Steve's going to queue up here. All in right, a so so we're gonna back to the plot. Each of the monkeys gets his own solo in order to quote unquote free his mind. Towards the end, Davy Jones's solo freezes, freeze frame, and we get this enlightening commentary from Augur. Hmm, interesting fantasies they have. Fixation, withdrawal, schizophrenia, regression. <laughs> yeah, I, I like I like how how Auger has this German accent, which I believe fades in and out. Um, <laughs> but yeah, so he's doing this kind of Freudian psychoanal- uh, yeah, psychoanalysis. The they, they bring it in. Mm, yeah, interesting fantasies yeah. they have. He sounds as as enthusiastic as the audience is watching <laughs> right. this. And, and and it feels like the original draft was like, yeah, this is going to like identify our individual struggles, but none of that comes through. No. Like it sounds generic. So it sounds like the original like, oh, I'm dealing with, you know, schizo feelings of schizophrenia, feelings of regression, feelings of whatever the first two were, but none of that comes through. Like none of that comes through as like any sort of real insight. <laughs> So we move on to part three, and we begin with the monkeys singing and dancing as wind-up toys. This is reminiscent of a stiff, in-sync performance. Uh, although they all look as though they'd rather be elsewhere, blank stares and all, arguably the part they are playing, they are dressed very similarly to the performance outfits they wore in the TV show's pilot episode, leading us to believe this is a riff on the monkeys as already brainwashed puppets. Uh, they were not organically formed. They were hand-picked by producers. I don't want to beat a dead horse, but... You know, again, it's like you're at your, you know, you're at your nephew or niece's, you know, student film festival, senior year of college. I mean, it's like the the earnestness is there. The intention is there. Mm-hmm. The desire to say something. But the ability to do it in a masterful or subtle way just isn't. I mean, you look at that and you say to yourself, why didn't they spend that time instead of shooting something? Why did not they spend that time in the editing room taking a couple shots from the epi- TV episode and showing it cutting back and forth like in a mechanical repetitive way to sort of say like we're robots like we do the same thing every episode or you know whatever there's a much more interesting way these guys again it's like they went we're performance artists like we could do interpretive theater and we'll do it against a backdrop of like tape loops and like which is chroma keyed yeah projectors or whatever and we'll do it in like costumes that are kind of like the costumes we wore and like Oh, it's just, you know, and again, each one has a different agenda. So it's like, it's like Nesmith is angry and and Torque is whatever. And the other two are like, we're acting. Like, maybe I'll get a shot in a Broadway show of this. If I really do a good performance here, like, it's just weird. It's just, oh, I I don't know. It's frustrating because, again, you know, there's hardcore people who be like, this isn't a real band, like. F the monkeys, you know, whatever. But at this point, people are like, they had good songs, they seem good guys, it's it is what it is. And you're like, come on, guys. Like, come on. Like, you could have come up with something better than this. I don't know. That's my opinion. But okay. Andrew and just uh, uh, listeners uh, at home. No, listeners at home. Andrew's face is after watching that clip was as if he just threw up in his mouth. <laughs> he is like so disturbed and perturbed by what he's and had this to is the watch. second time I've seen it yes. too. So <laughs> I saw it earlier today on my own. <laughs> Uh, he just yeah. It's it, just it's, it's so boring. It's trying. okay. Well, if you find this boring, then don't <laughs> worry because things are really gonna pick up now. Ah, too mechanical, rhythmically wrong. 
I'll teach you to sing another song. We start with a simple rhythm. Ach so. We then add a second. Yeah, come and go. Then in with the third. It begins to change. So Charles Darwin was English, right? Why does he have a German <laughs> accent? So, okay. So for listeners, if you haven't seen this clip, oh, there's some issues. So, so, okay. So the auger character, and, and they did this practically, which is sort of impressive as a set piece. They have four pianos stacked on top of each other, and it's supposed to be augers on top. Who's then on top of little uh, Jerry, uh, Lee Jerry Lee Lewis? Who's on top of Little Richard? Who's then on top of Fats Domino? And just in case you couldn't tell from the music or the costumes, they've literally painted the names of the artists on the side of each piano, so you know. So now on one end, again, the idea, the rough draft. This all sounds brilliant. They're trying to say that the. Uh, music company or the white music company or record company is trying to play off the labor of the earlier black artists who started the boogie woogie piano stuff um, or they're trying to meld it all together in sort of a confusing way okay all that's fine or great you then think if you even know who the hell Charles Darwin's character was hey Charles Darwin's going to show up that makes sense because it's all about evolution but then because they're bad art film students he rips up the screen that that image was projected on and says, no, 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 you're trying to run before you can walk. So is he saying that the music industry is trying to speed ahead to the on the backs? But, you know, like, it doesn't make any sense. And run sense. before you can walk. I think that was a Nietzsche quote anyway. <laughs> okay. So... You know what I mean? I like, like where you're going with this, though. But yeah. you know what I mean? Like, so, so yes, I get I, the basic idea. Like, there, he, if it's like, if it's like, hey, plastic pop, uh, pop music, you've forgotten your roots. I'm down with that message. If it's, hey, you're trying to combine it all and it's, it's messing up the purity of it. I'm also down with that. If you're doing Charles Darwin coming in and trying to make an analogy to like the evolution of music, I'm also down with that third concept. They try to put all three of those in together in one hmm. scene. I can't make a, but, but any sense of it. Remember the visual it. that Charles Darwin is holding a sign that calls him Loon Extraordinaire. Right. So they're discrediting him at the same time. Right. So so then you go, it's almost what we deal with now, which is like snark on top of snark on top of snark on top of snark. Like, what the hell does it all add up to? Like, you're rebelling against rebellion against rebellion. You know what I mean? Like, so where is, now maybe I sound old. Maybe that was what the, the cool thing was in 69 was like rebel against everything. Like nothing matters. I don't know. But uh, I don't get this clip. I don't get this clip at all. It's well, all muddled. Well, then I'm going to throw another wrench into it because lucky for us, Darwin takes us back to the beginning of. Lucky for us. They put in Elton John and another <laughs> piano player. Yeah. I, I'm not sure. <laughs> turtles he takes on top us, of turtles. I'm not sure what he takes us back to the beginning of uh, the clip. Jonathan will put on the website because there are masked dancers in colorful leotards painted with symbols that resemble vaginas and penises, and they are providing us with an interpretive dance of something all the while being chroma keyed on top of nature videos. 
Uh, this goes on to almost four minutes, so is this like the initial mating of human life form? I'm not sure. Um, and it goes on for almost four minutes, which is, uh, you know, not yet ready for the YouTube generation of I only need to see this for 30 seconds or less. This reminds me of the from the Star Wars Christmas special. There was that oddball like interpretive dance routine. Uh, is this supposed to be high art? Are we looking at high no, culture? No, we're, well, we're, we're looking at, okay, we're looking at going back to the primu- primordial moment of man, or wo- man and woman or whatever, and like the primal rhythms uh, that are sort of shaping everything. But we're also getting a very easy production number where you get a bunch of people in leotards against a chroma key and you put in music, which I don't know if I, I don't know what I'm remembering. It either sounds like a redone version of like one of the horns from Planet of the Apes or the Ewok horn. I can't remember what, but that, that, it sounds like one of those. So yeah, this is, I mean, I, again, I know where they're trying to go. Like I see what they're trying to do, but it ain't working. I, I just, I just don't get it, but. All right. So. Uh, after this, the monkeys are finally brought back into what Darwin describes as the masterpiece of evolution, quote unquote. Uh, but the monkeys are now in monkey costumes, like the animal, and they sing Neil Sedaka's huge hit. Uh, I cough sarcasm here. I go ape. And now my masterpiece of evolution. And here they are with the song of the hat of the book of the film of the tram from the telephone directory of the same name. We all remember that great Neil, Neil Sedaka song. Uh, and this special is, is now apparently an homage to Shindig because I Go Ape, they're just singing in monkey costumes with uh, hippie dancers all around them. Uh, but do not worry, there is much more psychedelic version to come because we get plenty of the forward-backward jog shuttling within this segment as if a 10-year-old is using these effects for the first time. So much of the... Oh, so if you ever notice, um, my favorite is uh, when I first started playing with this technology as a television person is, oh, here's video of someone jumping into a pool. Let's make them go backwards out of the pool. Let's make them go back in, right? Mm-hmm. That's all this is yep. for about five minutes is forward, backward, forward, backward. Uh, and so it gets pretty mind-numbing uh, very, very quickly. So this is apparently sufficient for Darwin, who concludes in this segment by saying... That evolution can do no more. The rest is up to science. And puts a net over the four monkeys and delivers them to Augur and Driscoll, the evil brainwashers. So if you like organ playing, random slow motion, apple eating, and sexual innuendos, this is definitely your segment in the entire show uh, because they have all of that. At the end of this song, the producers must have realized the entire plot was probably lost at this point. So we get an insert edit of Augur restating his plan that they had recorded during the introduction and they voice it over the end of this segment uh, as Driscoll delivers the facial interpretations of what his plan is on the screen. I'll brainwash them and they'll brainwash the Well, well, the good news is, is now we're back on track. The fourth segment is actually the fourth segment. Oh, good. Uh, so when we return, it's also the worst part of the program, in my opinion, um, because the brainwashing is now complete, and the monkeys have been brainwashed to become a 1950s rock and roll group. And, you know, in 1969, the 50s were not that long ago, but they're already seeing the 50s as vintage at this point, or out of style, I guess, or uh, some sort of historical uh, moment for music. But Jack Good apparently can't get past his shindig roots because this turns into 
an over nine minute long segment of just bands playing music. So Mm. maybe you like this. I see this is totally derailing the plot uh, because you don't even hear from the monkeys that much. You see them, but now you're going to see Fats Domino. You're going to see Little Richard. You're going to see a whole bunch of other performers. And I guess in a way that's nice. If you like those performers, you're seeing a a lot of variety of music and, and an homage to the 1950s and Shindig. But at the same time, what happened to our plot? What happened to the monkeys? What, what is going on here? And over nine minutes does become quite long to sit through. You almost forget what it is that you are watching. Such as it was, but I mean, I, I don't even know that there was much of a plot to begin with, right? I mean, it just... That's true. Why not include a nine-minute, <laughs> you know, musical Filler. throwback to Shindig? December 7th, 1956, and here they come, idolized. Plasticized, psychoanalyzed, sterilized, the monkey. So the only interesting note about this uh, is that the program at the very beginning of the segment claims that the monkeys are performing on December 7th, 1956. A quick Google search revealed to me that Elvis Presley performed with B.B. King that same night for an African-American children's fundraiser by WDIA Radio in what was otherwise a segregated event. The segment in this uh, special features a large majority of African-American musicians, singers and performers such as Fats Domino, Little Richard, the Clara Ward Singers, and Buddy Miles Express. Uh, Do you think that Elvis performing with B.B. King is coincidence that they picked this date at random, or do you think this date is actually selected because the Monkees are performing with majority of African-American performers? I, I think, again, if it's all on the nose, I think they're saying... We were produced, but we weren't the first ones. Um, Elvis and some other folks, or Jerry Lee Lewis, you know, kind of took the rhythm and blues, rock and roll stuff of black performers and ran with it. Mm -hmm. Um, And producers and record companies capitalized on it. So we're not the first. And I I think in their own weird, (laughs) misguided ways, I think by placing themselves first in that segment as a like whitewashed monkey fifties version of the monkeys that's supposed to somehow be the connector there. But yeah, I think it's just a commentary on like they said, plastic because they start that segment. Like here they are, the monkeys, the plasticized, homogenized, sanitized, da da da. Cause you know, that was the whole thing. Like with Elvis, you know, first it was, you know, uh, if you listen to the lyrics that were written by someone else, um, you know, they're sort of sanitized when they're sung by him and then even if he was sort of sort of outrageous, then the Ed Sullivan and other folks start sanitizing his movements by shooting him close up. Then he goes away to the army and they're like, well, we want you to still be successful. So let's tone down your image. So now he's more of like a rounded off, no more sharp edges Elvis mm-hmm. when he comes back from the army, hanging out with Sinatra, singing with Sinatra and all that stuff. So I think that's what they're trying to speak to is that sort of what the pop machine does is it just sort of whitens it, softens it, and mass produces it. Lucky for us, after nine minutes of this, um, they, uh, they, they, the transition, for lack of a better term, is that two skeletons are chroma keyed on the screen dancing, 
which I'm not sure the significance of that. Uh, otherwise, saying <laughs> that maybe this music is old, I don't know. Uh, and as the two skeletons come dancing on top of the video through chroma key, the screen catches fire and melts. Yeah, I, yeah just leave it at that. <laughs> maybe yeah. cool effects that Jack Good wanted. I'm not sure. Um, <laughs> So now this is going to derail the entire show because the hosts break the fourth wall and say this. Wait a minute, Jack. Hold on a minute. Stop the show. Look, this brainwashing bit has got completely out of hand. You know, look, I'm Brian Auger and this is Julie Driscoll. And we don't want any more of this sort of brainwashing business. What we want is complete and total freedom. Complete and total freedom. Now, do you realize what that means? Yeah. Utter bloody shambles. So with this, I think they're breaking character to basically say that segment of the program is done. We we want to be free. This is us speaking. That was the music industry. And when she says utter bloody shambles, I believe that's what the record industry would respond. That you want to have total freedom of your music? Yeah, that's going to lead to utter shambles. We need to control you for the success of you. Am I reading that correctly? I think you're being way too kind to this program. <laughs> I, I think. Well, you're the one giving good insight to all of this. I'm just, just trying to, I know, to no. channel my inner Jonathan. I think here you're with just. This. I think you're being. I think you're being way too kind. I think they went like, "This is exactly what we always wanted to be able to say on the show, and we couldn't." <laughs> And for some reason, they went. Let's have those guys say it. <laughs> like it just doesn't make any sense. Yeah, but like, I, I just I find it funny. Like, wait, 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 stop! This brainwashing's gotten completely out of control. Right? Well, really? I mean, is but that, I mean, I, I feel like it, sense. I feel like it's the 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 line version of all that sort of double visual effects thing, where when you do it twice or three times on top of each other, it doesn't make sense. Same thing here, which is like they already had a brainwashing plot going. That was fine with it. They could have just had them say it, but instead they're like, no, no, we're going to make it really far out. Let's have them say it. It's like, well, that doesn't make any sense, but okay. I mean, from a screenwriting perspective, it just stops the plot. So that's it. Brainwashing's done. We are done. They don't return to it. That's it. We never find out what happened. So they kind of start the story and then basically say, we don't want to do this anymore. Uh, We're just going to tell you we want to be free. As if you couldn't get that from the story they were telling. Right. Yeah, I mean, I've been quiet. I have nothing to add to this because I think we've – Completely analyze the entire show within the first <laughs> ten minutes of talking. I think there is very little to it other than what we've been saying. Yeah. All right. So well, then this uh. kind of then wraps it up because what happens is that uh, after this is done, then the monkeys are going to perform again. This time amongst shambles. So the studio kind of resembles a junkyard or a post-apocalyptic world, and uh, we get a couple of songs from. Uh, Davy Jones, who sings. Peter Tork uh, does a, a Bach piece on electric keyboard, so you can see him really playing his instrument. And then um, Mickey and Mike join in, and they begin to play, just the four of them, in a very quiet way, Listen to the Band, the song Listen to the Band. And at first, you sort of say, oh, you know, this is, this is them playing kind of organically, and it's just them in the studio on a wide shot. And for one moment, I, I really kind of saw this as them just saying very simply no effects this is just us hey hey mercy woman plays a song and no one listens i need help i'm falling again Play the drum a little bit louder Tell me I can live without her If I only listen to the band Listen to the band 
but that doesn't last long because uh, Chroma Key and a uh, bus full of hippies that Jack Good had sent down to uh, Sunset Boulevard to pick up, they join in, all the other performers join in, and you get a huge, rage-filled, chaotic, overmodulated, cacophonous finale uh, that uh, Sora just kind of brings everything to a crashing end. thought the 50s segment went on too long this goes on for over 10 minutes uh, and, and then playing organically is maybe for just the first two minutes and this whole thing was originally an hour program it's an hour program oh. and i believe there's not much commercial time because the youtube version is about 52 minutes mm. so you know that they didn't sell a lot of the commercial this is a this is a con content filled packed hour and again i'm sure monkeys fans have this all online and can correct us but you mentioned that originally it was possibly a three special deal. Uh, yeah. Right? So as a writer, why would... I guess in their minds it would be the first one would tear down everything, then the second one would be the start of a new beginning, and then the third would be some finale. But the way I'm thinking about it is you basically said F you to everybody in, you know, in the first one. Where would there be room? You left yourself no margin of error or rope. You, you know what I mean? To, to get yourself along. Like... like the first, you, you know, today, I guess I'm being way too structured in my thinking, but like today it would be like you do all the hits and please everybody and maybe have a tiny one minute thing where you're kind of like putting your middle finger up to everybody. like oh, I hate this, whatever, to get you to the second one and then get you the third one. Maybe the third one, you burn everything down. You're like, I'm out of here, whatever. But it doesn't seem like you'd make a second special after you did this. So, I mean, just think in 1967, the Monkees won the Emmy Award for Outstanding New Comedy on Television. And uh, by 1969, they were producing this. That's not really well-received, and NBC cancels the other specials upon seeing it. Uh, fortunately for us, this special ends with a gorilla literally closing the book on it, another nice chroma key effect. And the title of the book, when it's closed, says, Beginning of the End, uh, which it would be because Peter Turk would leave the group, and, of course, Nesmith wouldn't be really performing with them much longer. So this is really the last performance of the four of them on television until 1997, so almost 30 years before the four of them would rejoin on TV, and this is sort of the way it uh, ended. So any, uh, any final thoughts about this uh, TV special? Well, no, I think I've said everything I would say with the special. I will say about the monkeys, I just, as I said it before, such an American phenomenon. Like, and I think it's important for that reason. And maybe now it's just been so replicated with every cookie cutter pop band. And then the one where MTV really would do a reality show built around making the band or creating the band that maybe monkeys are just old hat at this point or, or not special or unique anymore. But like you said, the short amount of fame, but yet the impact that they had, the fact that they were a, a representation of a more famous real band, I don't know. I just I find the subject fascinating because there's so many layers to it. Yeah. And then you add in this this sort of earnest wrestle for control when eh, you know they're probably better and they're probably a better entertainment entity than they are pure artistic musicians. But try telling that to any egotistical, hot-headed 24-year-old and I include myself in that, you know, of like Oh, you can't do this, or you're not going to be this, or whatever. Your first, no, I'll, I'll show you. You know, whatever. So I don't know. I, I'm fascinated by the subject. I, I I love this. 
I really hope to never have to watch this <laughs> particular special again. But yeah, that's that's all I have to say about it. No, <laughs> no, no, no. I mean, I I, I have no problem with the monkeys. Uh, yeah. Great, yeah. great tunes. I love the show. I love watching the show as a kid. This this is this is horrible. This is this is Did bad. Did you ever watch Head? No, I never watched Head. Oh, you gotta watch Head. I don't know. <laughs> well, if I do, Steve, you I, I, I don't know. Now after watching this, that it's written I, by Jack Nicholson. I mean, come on. Uh, <laughs> uh, okay, Real so then I got to ask you guys: Where does this special? So we've had the Reagan special, we've right. had the Star Wars special, uh, the backdoor pilot of Chips uh, that we use for seven. For seven, but I mean that was about. Does that not count because it was part of the regular season? It was a special, I would say. I I, I know it was part of their season, Steve, but it's a special in Steve's episode. Steve's made up taxonomy of the word okay, special. Okay, fine, fine. Let, and let's do it as a painometer. Well, so let's do it this way. Most we painful, only least painful. I'm talking about us deconstructing particular episodes, right? This is uh, a standalone. Okay. Usually, we talk about a broader subject, or we, yeah, we talk about a yeah. moment in history. So, in these four shows that we have deconstructed, where does this rank for you? Okay, I'm gonna. Well, I'm gonna do paint painometer. I'm okay. gonna say All right. least painful is um, four seven. Then I'm gonna say a little more painful, Dutch Reagan. Okay, I'm with you. Then I'm gonna say it's getting close. This is the clincher. Then yeah. I'm then I'm gonna say I'll put monkeys thirty three and a third revolutions up per monkey next. Okay, and the most painful. Star Wars Holiday Special. Uh, agreed, and to qualify that, I would say, for me, it is mostly about the length of the Star Wars Christmas special <laughs> that really takes it above and beyond in the, the, the painometer to a yeah. level of horribleness that just should not be experienced. I mean, wow. two hours. This is an hour. I mean, it's terrible, but like... <laughs> You get hey, it's you, an hour. You get a little Richard performance. You get a Jerry Lee Lewis performance. Sure, sure. You get some a bright Stone. spots in this. You get Davy Jones being charming as hell. I mean, there's some bright spots. It's no, yeah. it's no Chewbacca yeah. and a smock. But we, what we are you should be do? creating this list though, so we can keep in mind the ones that we've done, and we hope to add to this. So, if any of our listeners have a special that you think qualifies as to be something we can deconstruct and discuss, please send it our way. We'd be more oh, than God. happy to look for. It. I know Andrew would love watching it, although uh, Andrew wants a good special, so maybe you can you can add one. Of, uh, but I, but I mean it well. like a a special in the traditional sense too, like Paul Lynn's Halloween special, so, that's on so, something like that. We yeah well I I don't want to make any promises listeners but perhaps Halloween time we may be doing something like the Paul Lynn special yeah maybe another special uh, star that also starred someone who appeared on that Paul Lynn special and we also might are have, you familiar with Paul Lynn special oh yeah oh. and we might also have an an old and fa uh, favorite guest of ours who's been on the show before come back for that Halloween special mm. I won't say any more mm -hmm. but it might mm -hmm. it might happen right, later tantalizing yeah we have yeah. to make this happen then uh, well thank you so much for joining us uh, and making your way through 33 and a third revolutions per monkey remember to check us out on our blog tvhistorypod.com Facebook and Twitter as well and uh, I'm Steve Voorhees. Thanks to Jonathan Bollinger and Andrew Silvati for surviving this episode and for making uh, their ways through this. We leave you now with a musical number from the closing credit sequence of 33 and a Third Revolution per yeah. Monkey, a song that is anything but uplifting. You might as well just end it with commentary on California uh, being nuked. Um, maybe this is commentary <laughs> on uh, California native Richard Nixon's presidency. I don't know. It's probably throwback to the LBJ Daisy commercial, right? Yeah. And if the, the nuclear bomb the goes cloud, off right? if uh, Goldwater gets elected. The end.